welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. Oh, I'm glad you're with me. I'd be forced to endure the pain of acute flaccid myelitis if you made me nervous because you missed this week's show. Brand Democracy. Continuing our coverage of the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference, a conversation about letting go and democratizing your brand so it's collectively owned. The whys, whats, and hows are explained by Claire Taylor Hansen of Big Duck and Jennifer Daw Holloway with iPass. And what to avoid when selecting your next CRM. John Coogan of Charity Engine and J. Michael Fisher at the Army Historical Foundation pose the key questions to answer internally before you go shopping, reveal must-have functionality, and share insider secrets, all to help you avoid the common pitfalls of CRM system purchases. This is also part of our 23 NTC coverage. On Tony's Take Two. I'm available. We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster. Helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Here is Brand Democracy. Welcome back to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio Coverage of 23NTC. You know what that is. You know it's the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference and that we are at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver. And you also know that we are sponsored here at 23NTC by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. What you don't know now, but you're about to, is that my guests right now are Claire Taylor Hansen, who is creative director at Big Duck, and Jennifer Daw Holloway, director of communications at IPASS. Claire and Jen, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to have you both. Your session is coming up, so this is a good preparation, on brand democracy. Um, right, so I'm going to say Claire, as the, uh, the agency representative of the agency client uh, relationship, mm-hmm. the, representing Big Duck agency, what is brand democracy? Sure. Um, well, first, at Big Duck, we think of brand as the impressions that you're forming in your in your audiences, the impressions that your nonprofit creates out in the world. And so when we think about brand democracy, we're shifting our orientation to the history of branding, which is about single ownership. It's about signaling value. It's about tightly controlling the impressions that you're making. It's about regulating who's communicating on behalf of the brand, and you're switching your shink, your thinking to instead being about collective ownership of the brand. And so you're equipping your community of supporters to communicate on behalf of the brand and to really be the brand and inhabit the brand. So it's really about sharing power and sharing the power of brand in a way that's aligned more with many nonprofits these days that are thinking more about how can we um, share and distribute power and how we can communicate and build a brand that's more representative of who we are as a nonprofit and a mission-led organization. Organization. All right, and um, Jen, as the agent, as the uh, nonprofit representative, this all sounds very scary. Like it's anarchy that we're going to lose control. The brand is going to be diluted. That people aren't going to use the right colors. Uh, there's Farrah Trumpeter. Farrah Trumpeter off stage. Hello, how are you, Farrah? Good to see you. <laughs> My paparazzi. Oh, I love the purple highlight too. 
Farad uh, from uh, Big Duck. Uh, in Brooklyn, right? The agency's in Brooklyn, isn't it? We, uh, we're now distributed across the uh, country and have, beyond. Do you have but an we, office in Brooklyn? No, we don't. We're we now don't. fully distributed, yeah. Fully distributed. Yeah. All right. Used to be Brooklyn-based. Okay. Yep. Um, so, Jen, uh, now I'm concerned. The colors aren't going to be right. People are going to write I pass with I period, P period, A period, <laughs> S period. They're going to dilute the name, the brand. Everything is going to be anarchy. And everything that we have invested in our brand is going to be lost. Why is that not true? Oh, if if we democratize our brand, right, right, right. No, I, it is totally not true. And uh, like Claire said, um, we're uh, an INGO, so we're a fairly fairly large. We work in about eighteen countries. Um, we have offices in eighteen countries. We work in about thirty countries around the world. So. Brand democracy for us is really important because we're our core values are justice, equity, right? So you may as well explain what, what the work is before we go well, further. Well, the work for the what were the, 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 the <laughs> good? Um, we are um, an organization that is working to expand abortion and contraception access around the world. We are working toward. Uh, global reproductive justice. Your work is cut out for you in the United States. Oh, it is. For about the past 12 months or so. It's true. All right. right now, today. Right. Is yes. <laughs> news happening. Yes. So, um, brand democracy for us is really important because we are actually, our structure is changing. So, we're we're not, we're, we will no longer be kind of a hub and spoke organization with power centered in the United States. We are shifting it, pushing it out, decision making, authority, shared leadership to the places that are closest to our work and closest to the people we aim to serve. So brand democracy allows more engagement. It, it's about uh, representing the brand in a way that is best for the communities that you're serving and that you are part of. So, and it's about trusting our teams to know what is best for the community so, and their context. All right. Um, can can you go further and allay the fears of your fellow directors of directors of communications, <laughs> yes. maybe CEOs, that everything we've invested in the brand is now going to be torn asunder? Oh no no no! It, I, I, how can we trust our fear not? How can we trust not. our community to do the brand the justice that we want them to? Well, I think because in brand democracy, when you're thinking about the brand, you're refreshing it, or you're doing a kind of brand checkup. What you're doing is engaging your community in defining and refining the brand, so that you're kind of living it. You. You understand the brand. The brand represents your core values, represents your mission and vision. So those are common threads throughout our country offices around the world. The mission, the mission and the vision are the same. The way that the colors that you might use, they may vary a little bit. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, it might be a couple of hexadecimals off. Okay. That would be I mean, all right. the logo is set. But you can use it in different ways. You can use it with a tagline. You can use it without a tagline. But it's okay. still the logo. Okay, okay. Can, I, can yeah. I build yeah, on that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think we were talking about last night, Jen, um, at our uh, happy hour moment, um, about really questioning like what's at risk 
Like, yes. you know, and, and, and exploring also, frankly, we're exploring like what this could look like and what the limits are. So a brand is important so that you rec- have brand recognition and so that you're signaling, you're building on the reputation of the entity. But if you're, if your pri- primary uh, motivation as an organization is really to um, get folks invested and feel it like it's rooted authentically in the organization, well, maybe there's a greater risk in having folks feel that there's sort of a top-down or Western mm-hmm. imposition of what a brand or quality looks yeah. like. Yeah. Maybe that's a bigger risk for you organizationally than having a, a color, a slight color shift. And so also it's about having lots of education. So yes. iPass does all this amazing work, having webinars, having downloadable tools. So things that are truly important for brand recognition, like your logo and like your vision and your mission. Um, ideally, you are building in tons of education around those parts of the brand, but then also leaving room for if you're in a in a South America where a color has a very different meaning than it does in America, well then if, if that color really resonates, allowing folks to enfold that color within the brand and use that brand and have a little bit more not a little bit more, a lot more right. regional autonomy with what iPass looks and sounds and feels like in the context in which they operate. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what what do we? You know, uh, something just occurred to me. I have to I have to get something off my mind. I'll talk to my uh, wife, production assistant, for a sec. Uh, you, Susan, because we're we are live tweeting that you're with us, right. but Susan needs the the names of of these two guests in the spreadsheet do, do you, does she know them because um, because we they got added last minute okay yeah I will okay thank you yeah. okay <laughs> now 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 you have my complete attention so Good. if you give okay. me 30 seconds now or, I thought you were gonna ask her for a stumper I was like yeah oh, I was I'm like she's gonna ask us a, a trick question <laughs> I, know, I was like oh I'm ready <laughs> what what is this we're, we're, we're starting we're starting to talk about what this looks like uh-huh. but what like I have a very neophyte question because I've been studying this for about 11 minutes and you've been working on this for months and your presentation is coming up. Years. (laughs) And your presentation is coming up. What are we allowing folks to do? What are we allowing the community to do? What does this democracy look like? Jen. Well, it looks like a a lot of what Claire said in that you are able to represent iPass in the way that is best for your content. So what does that mean? So like So it means suppose I want to tweet about Right. How how do I as a um newly empowered mm-hmm. brand owner, right. co-owner of the of uh, the iPass brand treat the brand or, or tweet you know, tweet differently now than I did uh, for the other nonprofit where it's a top-down model, right. and, but I wanted to shout out that nonprofit too because right. I still love that one even though I'm not a co-owner in their brand. Right. How does my tweet look different for iPass than it does for the, the more traditional brand, traditionally branded nonprofit? I think that was a pretty eloquent question. That was great. I, might, I, I must say, that I'm was pretty great. pleased with myself. I, might, I don't know if my uh, answer will be half I'm as sure eloquent, but to, I'm going to yeah, try. Yeah. But I think two things. Um, at iPass... We have various Twitter handles, right? So if you're iPass Nepal, you ha- you may have your own Twitter handle. You may have all your own social media handles. You may have a website that's iPass Nepal. You have iPass in the U.S. doing tweeting. So I think the thing is that you're, again, bound by your values. So are you talking about reproductive freedom and reproductive justice? Are you thinking expansively and inclusively about who is impacted by abortion, right? 
are you, is that coming through in what you're saying, whatever channel? You might be tweeting in French. You might be tweeting in Spanish from, from iPass. But I think the, it's the personality and the mission and the core values that are coming through in whatever medium you're speaking in or writing it. Okay. All Does right. that make you're, sense? You're centered. Yeah, you're centered around the, the values. Exactly. All right. Exactly. Can I build on that? <laughs> yeah, Claire, go ahead. So, I have a question for you. But yeah, go ahead, please. I think also we worked really hard with Jen. And by mm-hmm. we, I mean Big Duck. And by mm-hmm. Jen, I mean I pass. Um, <laughs> to we also just developed this brand so it's a new brand and so we worked really hard when we created that fundamental over you know that overarching layer of their logo and the Mm -hmm. main color to Mm -hmm. make them have community input from all of the different countries to make sure that folks could get on board with those aspects and those elements so I think a, a big shift now is in your analogy of the nonprofit that was before and the nonprofit that was after before it felt it could have felt like okay we've got this logo that's a kind of one size fits all and it has to work for literally every country across the world where every country across the world didn't help pick the logo or define the logo mm-hmm. now you've got a logo where everyone literally did help figure it out so it feels a sense of ownership and there's flexibility built in and encouragement built in to say like okay so this is the base layer this is the fundamental thread that is consistent through all and now adapt as it makes sense for you so it's it's sort of working with a set of tools that were designed for this purpose and with the with the flexibility and the spectrum of flexibility kind of built in and communicated and reinforced for folks It's time for a break. DonorBox, it's the fundraising engine of choice for 50,000 organizations from 96 countries. It's powerful enough to double donations and simple enough to be used by everyone. Black Girls Code increased donations by 400%. Upward Scholars increased donations by 270%. Maya's Hope saw a 100% increase in donors. The donor box donation form is four times faster checkout, no setup fees, no monthly fees, no contract, and 50,000 orgs all over the world. Donor box, helping you help others. Donorbox.org. Now back to brand democracy. Talk about brand anarchy. Well, I know. We have a well, lot to say. But brand, brand democracy and, and like, like Claire was saying, this flexibility. So our teams in different countries know their audiences better than... Sure. I mean, that's, you know, about not being this kind of hub in the United States. I can't tweet something that is meant for, uh, you know, let's say people in a health system in, you know, Kenya, for example, or, you know, for advocates working on law change in Mexico. So it, that allows you to, to, again, have the flexibility to, to know your audience, know your community, mm-hmm. you know, talk directly to them, which is kind of comms 101, right? Know your audience. Yeah. Yeah, and, and give them the, exactly. the freedom to speak to their audience who, exactly. who they know better than, than you. Exactly. You do. All right, got it. But I would gently, um, I'd gently push well, back on the anarchy thing because I don't think it, the no, intent no, is not anarchy. anarchy. Here. Oh, no, on this podcast. Democracy. This podcast Demo- is anarchy. Good. I'm okay with no, that. No, the podcast. I just don't. I don't. Anarchy. Yes. No, no. I'm okay with that. Um, 
I'm, 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 I'm going to make sure. That, okay. So uh, we're talking about an international NGO. Mm-hmm. I pass. Right. What if we're a local, uh, we're local state? I mean, you know, small, small town, whatever. Uh, um, agency. Right. Is, is there is there value in democratizing our brand? In um, is there is there? Well, I think if your organization is is really interested in um, sharing power and uh, and um, kind of authentically rooting your brand in your community, then for sure, yes. And then iPass was an amazing opportunity for us because it was the most obvious and clear. You know, of course, when you're dealing with international, autonomous, you know, culturally sensitive work, this is a great solution. But now it's interesting to use some of the thinking that we worked on and developed in this project. And to think about how does this how does this look for a for a regional nonprofit that's got a small staff like what does this look like and I think some of the ideas about okay well let's deeply listen to stakeholders that maybe we didn't historically listen to when we developed the brand how do we um, pressure test the brand during brand development and see what folks are thinking about it how do we train the the community and the staff how do we maybe open up some parts like maybe there's a toolkit that we can offer for folks so I think there's aspects of it and elements of it that for mission aligned uh, for organizations where it makes sense for them and that are interested in these ideas would definitely uh, are we're, we're incorporating into our projects right now that are very different than interesting I pass right. it, it sounds like uh, an example that folks may be more familiar with would be like Giving Tuesday, they, right? I mean, don't they don't they have tools? They, they they do have tools and resources, and you know, take the logo, use the brand. Totally, that's a, to, completely decentralized. Yeah, that's all a right. great, all right. great uh, analogy. Just trying to think of another. Going to bring that into our talk. Folks might be more. Oh, there you go. Um, <laughs> right. Be more familiar with. That's right. um, than, than, than I pass. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And you're right. Probably in the I, world of campaigns, like now this is bringing it into brand, which maybe feels a bit riskier, but this is a common strategy for campaign work because you're trying to recruit and advocate. Mm-hmm. And so this is interesting. It's like taking some of the same ideas and approaches that have been used for campaigns and thinking about, does some of that make sense for brand as well? Claire, do you think if someone, uh, some nonprofit wanted to explore this, does it need to be part of a rebranding Exercise because you said there's a new brand for iPass, or I mean, can their existing brand be democratized? I do want to say it is a it is a it's fresh and dynamic and new yeah. and everything, but yeah. we're we're still iPass. Our mission didn't change, so the way that we're working is changing. So it, we we called it kind of a a super brand refresh. Right. Right. Yeah. Which is, right. So, so I think that may be a better a, description. A brand refresh than a rebrand, but still, I mean, does it I mean, it was it was verging on rebrand. Yes. But we still we're still iPass, so it was a big deal. Right. I don't mean to minimize that. No. But, yeah. Okay. But okay. it's true. I think this is really like a shift in thinking, and then mm-hmm. actually, when you look at the actual brand assets and tools, it's not that you know, it's not a shocking change. It's it's just thinking about how you share and distribute and you know communicate the brand in right. different ways. Let's talk a little about brand ambassadors. Yeah. How do you uh, how do you identify these folks? Well, maybe it's easy. I mean, maybe easier for iPass than than for the typical U.S. nonprofit that is not international. Right. But uh, but go ahead, explain, Jen. Uh, well, brand ambassadors. We kind of view anyone who really sort of has an external facing role, right? If you you may be talking to the media, that maybe that's different. You might be talking to donors, you might be talking to par- partners. You're still an ambassador for iPass, for the brand, right? And 
we have some ways that we're in in on my communications team at the network level that we're really trying to build the platform and create the support. Claire mentioned toolkits, that sort of thing. So what we view our role is is to to help our brand ambassadors be the be as effective as effective as they can be. So it's you're speaking to community members. It's your, you know, you're speaking, you're giving a speech at a conference you're, or you're doing a presentation representing iPass and our work. That's ambassadorship. How do you pick these Takes, people? I, I don't know that we necessarily always pick them. They surface. I think they uh, surface they're... and I think that anyone in an organization who, again, is talking with people outside with their community members should be able to represent the brand. And if they have the right tools and and they're, you know, they understand the mission, which everyone at iPass is clearly is committed to our mission, they they're right. they that, can be good brand yeah, ambassadors. That, that wasn't a good question. How do you pick them? <laughs> because that that that's that, that sort of the old down, way, right. Top down model. You're a point you're anointed. Right. Exactly. So I just made the sign of the cross and giving my giving up my religious uh, I my mean, background that no longer applies. But uh, some people you, you are anointed, more, anointed. Right? They're wait, more wait, public. Canonized. The right. Pope's canonized. It's <laughs> no, no. not a process of canonization. <laughs> no, that's no. what I was looking for. Okay. No. no, right. They emerge. They want to have a lunch and talk mm-hmm. to some of their friends about iPass. Yeah. Or they want to do an online campaign yeah. or give up their birthday, you know, whatever. Exactly. They're, they're a donor who feels strongly about why they support iPass. Okay. They're an ambassador. They're empowered. They're mm-hmm. supported. They, okay, they just emerge. Yeah, right. They're not, they're not, uh, they're not canonized. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I think the idea of a brand ambassador, that's not a new concept, you know, in the nonprofit world. Like, we've been incorporating that role in our trainings for a long yeah. time. Yeah. But really, it's, um, I think it's acknowledging and, and creating um, tools and resources and approaching the this community of folks in a deeper way. So you're, you're saying, you're acknowledging that, especially in the nonprofit world, where maybe you don't have infinite dollars to, you know, work on your marketing. You know, instead, you're saying, you're, you're capitalizing on the power of your community. And you're saying, okay, I'm get, we have all these folks that, that care about us and are communicating on behalf of us. And so rather than try and like uh, control the message or you know only have designated spokespeople, let's kind of release a little bit more and kind of embrace that and capitalize, well, capitalize is the wrong word, but you know, um, really uh, 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 lean into the power of our community. Okay. I'm, I, I, I like the word exploit. It's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not a pejorative. Exploit the, no, you're taking advantage. Yes, you're exploiting. I mean, we exploit resources, but not to the not to the detriment of the resources. I don't think. Maybe leverage. It's, we'll say leverage. Ah, leverage is. Uh, I'm tired of leveraging. Amplify. I've just I got I, I grew amplify. Up, yeah, I, I like up, amplify. Oh, amplify. Okay. I grew up just using things. Now I have to leverage them. Um, it's, it sounds it sounds like more work. Um, it does. Like lever- Many more like, syllables. Like I learned in fifth grade, like simple machines is a fulcrum and a power. So, you know, it's, it sounds too. It sounds. Sounds like too much energy expansion. Um, okay, I could see. You know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to apply this more generally. I, I see how it fits perfectly with an international NGO. You're 18 different countries, right? Uh, okay. Um, but for for the more typical listener, I mean, you could be like approaching this, but maybe not a full-on, you know, um, democratization, but empowering your ambassadors, letting ambassadors emerge. Let, let people use your brand for an event or a, or a, a, a something they want to do, you know, a, a peer-to-peer campaign or something, right. right? I mean, so like, you know, uh, 
but you have a toolkit for them. Mm -hmm. There's some Google mm -hmm. Google Google Docs or something, shared resources right. where you can grab our logo here, grab some of our key talking points there. Mm -hmm. um, totally. Right, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then also there's, so that's the brand assets, but there's also kind of brand feedback. We like to think of brands as like living and evolving things. So, you know, if you reach out to your community for feedback on your brand and to kind of include them on how is it performing in the world? Are there ways we could shift or adapt? So then you're really, the, through how you walk and talk and every, through, through signaling to folks that, hey, this is yours too. Like this is, this is our community's brand. How do you get that feedback, Claire? Um, Google surveys, you could have listening sessions, you can um, offer free gift certificates to have folks show up and kind of share their feedback on some questions and hear how folks are responding to statements like your mission statement, your vision statement, show them some recent materials, you know. We're, and also just full acknowledgement, we're, we are, as an agency, really like thinking about this, wrestling with this, kind of playing around with different ideas. Like this is kind of a new uh, framework and way of thinking about branding for us too, like as recently as you know, five or ten years ago, my goal in life was to make the brand as consistent mm -hmm. and uh, as and shut down, you know, uh, anything that could potentially erode the brand as possible. Everything I, uh, I asked Jen to respond to earlier. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and now yeah. I'm I'm questioning that. I'm question. I'm not not. I'm in some ways. I'm I'm just you know wrestling with like, well, what if your primary motivation is instead to you know, to embody the brand in, in your entire community? Well, how, how do you get people engaged and passionate about what you're doing? How important is it really if your hex value is consistent across, I mean, and it is, I'm a designer, it's very important that your website appear correctly across certain ways and that you have accessible colors. So it's just thinking about at every touch point, you know, questioning the way things have been done you know, is there a different way approach that could be taken that would be more in service to the mission and thinking about being maybe a little bit less um, tightly controlled about some things that have historically been very locked down. Mm -hmm. That's cool. All right. Jen, I'm going to leave you with uh, the last, uh, the last um, encouraging words of encouragement, okay. words of empowerment uh, around loosening up, lo lo loosening up, maybe not, you know, approaching full on, the way the way iPass is able to and really suited for, as you both you both agreed, but um, empowering our the rest of the folks, right? Around loosening up the well, I their think, their brand. I think it it serves many purposes, right? If you're loosening up in the sense that you are actually practicing or leaning into brand democracy, you are empowering your staff, your community, like Claire said to speak, to represent the brand. And you're not, um, you know, it was this top-down comms or marketing controlled the brand in the past. And it in a smaller organization, you don't have a lot of comms and marketing people, right? So you really need more brand ambassadors. You need people to be sort of mm. living mm. what the brand means be able to, to represent it and to sort of share those core values. And I think, you know, any size organization, your supporters or your community want to feel a part of something. And this is another way to, to help do that. That's Jennifer Daw Holloway, Director of Communications at IPASS. And also with me is uh, Claire Taylor Hansen, Creative Director at Big Duck. Jen, Claire, Claire, Jen, thank you very much. Thank you for sharing. Thank you.
I'm glad this worked out kind of last minute. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you for being with Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio Coverage of 23NTC, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. It's time for Tony's Take Two. Thank you, Kate. Are you planning a conference or maybe some other training for later this year or in 2024? I'm available. If planned giving can fit into whatever it is you've got coming up uh, training-wise, then I'd be grateful if you would give me the opportunity to be a part of your program. I'm typically talking about launching planned giving at small and mid-sized nonprofits. That's my target audience. So if that's your audience for whatever you've got coming up, again, I'd be grateful if you'd uh, give me the opportunity. I'd love to talk to you about it. You could use the contact page at TonyMartinetti.com or just email me, Tony at TonyMartinetti.com. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got buku buttloads more time. Here is what to avoid when selecting your next CRM. Welcome back to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of 23NTC, the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference. We're in Denver, Colorado, and we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. With me now are John Coogan, who is Vice President of Client Services at Charity Engine, and J. Michael Fisher, who is Vice President of Development at the Army Historical Foundation. John, Mike, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you both. Your session topic is five pitfalls to avoid when selecting a CRM system. John, let's start with you. Uh, just high level. Why is this an important topic? Well, for me, it's an important topic. Uh, uh, prior to Charity Engine, I was with, with nonprofits for about 15 years, and in each of my four, uh, three of my four nonprofits had to migrate uh, from one system to another for various reasons. And in, in each case, it was very uh, difficult for me because I, I went in blind, not knowing which questions to ask, and you know, ran into a lot of implementation you know, delays and you know, uh, misunderstanding of the product. So we, we wanted to put together a quick session to help people who are shopping around for CRMs ask the right questions, understand the perspectives, understand who to get involved by, from an executive buy-in within the organization, um, you, know, you know, insist on things like transparency, understand data and the migration process. So they're walking in with the right, I guess, overall perspective so that the, the buying process is a lot easier and the implementation process and, and going live is even that much easier as well. Mike, is this something that the Army Historical Foundation has been through? It, actually going through it right now. Going through and, it. Uh, is this a client uh, vendor, no. client consultant relationship? Currently no. He's been a client of ours with two other uh, nonprofits. Yeah. Oh, he's moved okay. on to a new yeah. one that's not yet a client. Oh, not yet. Okay. We'll get okay. there. And so you're going through uh, a CRM selection now at the foundation? It was already done before my time, and there's been some implementation issues, if you would. I see. And uh, 
you know, after I was talking to Charity Engine, uh, you know, I was just telling them some of the things we're going through. And they're like, would you share that? Yeah. People would like to know because you've done it two times before and you'll probably do it again in your career. And I said, of course, because the only way you can really help others is showing what you've learned. You know, it is free advice to so get a full refund. And it's, okay. uh, you know, that's one of those things. Yeah. But it's, uh, yeah, I'd like to share that information just because you, you, you do a lot of digging as a nonprofit executive. You know, there's no book, there's no manual. And you, and I've done a lot of digging and I've, I have some ideas of what I think is good and I'm happy to share that. And some, sounds like uh, some lessons learned as well. Yes. Yes. Well, thing, okay. one, one of the big things is uh, 10 year, 15 years ago when I was shopping for my first CRM, there were not a lot of options out there. And nowadays, there's just so much noise. There's so many different levels of CRM, you know, smaller, bigger, all-in-one, uh, very specifically focused CRMs. If you Google nonprofit CRM, you're going to be overwhelmed with the options. And I think that's a big problem, for, especially for smaller nonprofits that neither have the time nor, nor maybe the sophistication with technology to, wade, to kind of wade through all, of those, all the noise and really kind of come up with a product or a list of products that would make sense for them. And so yeah. we want to help out with that. And John, let's stay with you. You, you alluded to uh, questions. Yes. Uh, question five, uh, I think between the two of you, oh, well, it's five pitfalls to avoid. Right. right. And, but you have a bunch of questions to ask. Yeah. I get one of the pitfalls is not asking the right questions. It's is not, that, yeah, not, not being prepared. Not being prepared not for prepared. your, for, and so asking the right questions and understanding your current environment and, and who's going to be using the system and what they need it for, having the right people at the table, uh, when interviewing a, a potential partner in a, in a CRM uh, because you need to represent everybody in the organization and you need to make sure this product is going to effectively give all, all those people what they need to do their right. job on a day-to-day -day basis. So if you're coming in and you're listening to a sales pitch and every, every sales pitch is going to be similar. We've got these great features and this great functionality. We do all these great things and we're going to double or triple your fundraising in a year. But at the end of the day, you want to move past that. You want to, is this product the right product for me in terms of everyday use, um, my ability to understand it, my ability to leverage it in the right way, my ability to grow with it. And so you move past the sales and you start getting into talking to people like me that run client services and actually install the product and get it going um, so, that, so that you can ask those deeper questions right, and so, get real answers. So let's drill down. Yeah. So what are some questions that should be asked? I, I and at what stage are we now? We're... We're, are we evaluating yeah, so, choices yeah, at that, that stage we're at now? Or? I think, I think um, a or lot of the people in the room are probably, hey, I, we need to get out of what we're in right now because either we need to grow or we don't get what we need out of this or it's too expensive. So they're, they're kind of just searching around. So you're at the pre-RFP stage. Pre-RFP. So yeah. you're asking these questions internally. Yeah. And you're so, not asking them of the vendors. No, not or, yet. So, so okay. and, then, and then when you get the questions internally answered, then you can shop around and weed off Okay. You know, so let's get. Of, yeah. So, what are some of these internal questions? So, for for me, one of the one of the biggest questions that that I want people to ask is is you know how is your customer support, and you know do do you do you have a, a customer support team that's going to stay with us as partners? Well, that's a question you're asking the vendors. Yeah, yeah, but internally, the the question has to be what kind of support do I need? Oh, what, oh, yeah. what do we have internally? Yeah. So, do so I need we, do so I need support need? with okay. like reporting? Do I need support with uh, running? You know, queries or building uh, building different cuts of data so that I can do segmented seg segmented emails and things like that. Um, segmented. Segmented. That's important. Let's write that one the down. The, yeah. The, 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 you got to have segmented. Yes. Yeah, so you got a lot of segmented <laughs> data. But I think um, you know, if you don't know what you need, you know, if you don't know what questions you need to answer for yourself internally, then how can you even expect to ask the right questions of a vendor? 
And I think that's the big thing. Okay. So planning, sitting down, planning, okay, what do, what do we need? What are the questions we need to ask? What are the questions we need to answer for ourselves so that we can go out and look at products and eliminate those we know are not correct just based on our own needs. What else should we be doing introspectively? Uh, look at your data. I mean, I think I think one of the biggest things um, that trips up nonprofits when they're migrating is not understanding their, their data, where they sit right now, whether they've got a single database or multiple databases, are they using spreadsheets, what information is important, are you managing duplicates the right way? Because what happens when you migrate, first order of business is get your data into the new platform in the right way so you can build everything on top of it. And nine times out of 10, if you're not understanding your data and keeping it clean and doing the things you need to do to prepare yourself to move into a new platform, you're gonna end up adding a ton of overhead to the implementation timeline itself. And that's a big deal. Mike, uh, in your experience, now I know currently you're, you joined the foundation after this stage, but in your previous two times, do you feel like, or what was your experience around the, the internal questions being asked. I, I think one of the hardest parts at this stage for a nonprofit of, of, of this putting the deal together is you actually have to go back and uh, make the new piece different than the old database. So a lot of times people will sit around the table and they'll recobble this thing together and then you look at it and you're like, this is exactly what we already have. And then you have to logically think, well, if, that's, if we're really just going to build the same thing we already have, then why, 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 we why bother? do the work? Why do we go through this exercise? Just putting lipstick on a pig and sending it down the road. Yeah. yeah. And the reality is technology changes so quickly now that, you know, if even if you redid your database five or ten years ago, there's a lot of different pieces you don't have and a lot of pieces you could just you know, jettison aside. And so I think that's one of the biggest pieces at this point is don't just remake your same database. That's, that's a big mistake that a lot of people make. Yeah, again, when you get back to the questions, you know, if you're asking yourself the right questions, then you're, you're understanding why you're even looking to begin with. So, so we've seen some clients come in that end up expecting the same thing out of our product because they didn't ask certain questions and they are basically trying to replace what they have for price alone. I think if, you, if you're shopping for price, you still need to understand what you're getting into and you need to be able to think outside the box. What... You know, I have an opportunity now to change my database infrastructure, my CRM. What are things that I don't like about my current environment? You know, what, what, can, what can I leverage out of a product to make my life easier, to make us more efficient so that we can raise more money and do, do more things for our recipients? I don't think a lot of nonprofits will sit back and think about that if they're only shopping for price. You know, and I think that's an important one. So. Okay, okay. Anything else about the, the planning stage before we move on to some must-haves? Anything else, uh, Mike? I think we get... touched on it briefly. Yeah. But invite all of your your interested parties, uh, who's who can give input, who can uh, test early, and they can see previews. So they they buy in. It calms the waters of this event because to a lot of people, this is a huge event. And if you if you include the the stakeholders early, it's not as big of a deal. Yeah. Who are some of those stakeholders that you see sometimes? I don't know, maybe this goes to lessons learned, but <laughs> stakeholders get forgotten. It could be major ought, ought gifts. Be in. It could be major gifts. Uh, the database managers, uh, uh, customer service reps, uh, the back-end uh, guys, if you would, that, that are doing the actual data augmentation. And, you know, so it's just a, it's a wide variety. But it could and, also be the board member. Yeah. The board member that is looking at the bottom line and getting the report on a quarterly basis, you know, they need to understand the product as well. Um, and they need to understand why you know, you're moving into that product or they're not going to support it going forward. 
So I think at all levels, if you're not having everybody at every level using it, that's going to be leveraging the product or affected by the product, you're basically doing yourself a disservice um, and ultimately potentially creating downstream problems uh, internally about the, about the system, even if it's perfect. And, and in, including the board helps for some buy-in. Absolutely. You get yeah. that uh, upper-level management buy-in. Yeah, so when you need to expand or you want to do certain things with the product, it may cost, you know, cost a little bit more, whether it's a new integration that was built into the product or yeah. new functionality that, that they want to leverage. If the board's bought into it, it's an easier process to adopt that, that new functionality. You have some must-have functionalities yes. that you think you think every nonprofit needs. Uh, for me, the well, biggest one is a single database. Like I, I, I have lived through running nonprofits, smaller nonprofits, where we've had distributed data, and there's a lot of issues that go with that. Not the least of which is you've got a contact record or a donor or a prospect that's living in more than one data source which can lead to uh, siloed outreach. So you may have a major donor. I, this happened to me where we had a donor that wrote a check for $5,000 for you know major gift, end of year giving, and a week later got a solicitation in the mail for $25. And he called and said, what's going on? Don't you know me? You know Why, why am I hearing from these people as well? I just gave you $5,000. And so it, it creates problems. So a single source of data for me is critical. And that, and I think everything needs to be built from that. I so, guess that's that's not standard. I mean, no, that just seems no. like there's such a lot a of no-brainer. That well, what happens is this: you you know, you've got CRMs nowadays um, that may not have had certain components of technology, like let's say advocacy or events. And so, instead of building it, they've acquired another organization or integrated. Uh, all right. And so, what they've done is they created siloed databases. And I don't know, I can't speak to any one particular organization, but what ends up happening is you've got duplicate records, you've got data that's inconsistent across the organization. Yeah. It just becomes a frustrating thing, especially for, I was an executive director for a couple of nonprofits. It's just frustrating because your reporting is not accurate, especially to the board. You know, you're not, you're not able to, to accurately represent the revenue or the donor's activity. In some cases, you're not acknowledging correctly at the end of the year. You, might not, you don't even know what is accurate. Absolutely. I mean, you yourself don't even know. Yeah. Because you've got inconsistent data Absolutely. across uh, yeah. more than one database, I see. And what's yeah. funny is now in my role uh, on the for-profit side as, as Charity Engine overseeing professional services, we're seeing that come in because we have to bring all that data in and map it into our environment. And as we're doing that, these, <laughs> these nonprofits are discovering, oh my gosh, I didn't realize this one donor who was our monthly donor giving you know $15 a month also attended these events because there was a bucketed database yeah. somewhere that they, yeah. they weren't they weren't looking at and something as simple as that can be it could it could really hurt an organization's ability to raise money and build relationships mike do you have a, a must-have well i agree with that the, the data points the single data yeah right. they're missed so you could be anthony in my one list right. you could be tony in the other two different emails and we could be talking to you two different ways and you're you're going a little mad like what are these people doing they they talk to me this way one day and then they talk to me this way another and and that's where i think there's a lot of mistakes are being made when there's too many systems and when you can consolidate them they they'll eventually they won't catch everything 100 percent, but it'll be 99 percent okay much better uh, other must-haves must-have functionalities I mean, you, you need the standard stuff. I mean, I, I think, it, it, you know, the CRM needs to be integrated with email marketing. You need, you need good, solid reporting, the ability to uh, build uh, advanced reports and customized reports. 
Um, you know, I, I believe a, a great must-have is uh, open APIs into the nonprofit. Into explain the that. We have drug and jail on nonprofit yeah. radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're yeah. not coders here, so. Well, so it's, it's simple as open this. Open API. So, yeah, uh, yeah, open API. So for me, so to explain it in layman's terms, um, Charity Engine offers, you know, let's say uh, a dozen different inherent functionality within our system. If somebody comes and says, hey, I'm using this other thing that does this thing that you guys will never do because it, it's something separate from, from your, your core roadmap, um, but we want to integrate and we want to store the information in your database so that we have that single source still. We have uh, two-way integration. So we can they can bring data in through that other application, no different than a user entering it through our user interface, and they can pull data back out. So in that okay. way, no matter I what see. happens outside of our environment, we still have the most updated so, data. So open meaning not only the 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 providers that Charity Engine yep. has contracted with. Right, right. Other uh, open yeah, source. Exactly. Or, yeah. Not open source, but open, open APIs. APIs. Yeah, yeah. And so so Charity Engine, you know, we've got we've got uh, APIs that we built that are very specific, like Wealth Engine and QuickBooks and Double the Donation is a partner of ours that's here this week. And you oh, know, double the donation, Adam yeah. Uh, Wenger. Yeah, and so oh, he's so been on the show. And it's, it is a great organization. The integration's yeah. easy, and we tapped into their APIs and, and built it so that you know when a donor gives one of one of our uh, nonprofits, they get a, uh, a a prompt essentially to double the donation, which is right. great. Double the donation is referring to corporate corporate corporate, exactly. corporate uh, yep. matching. Yeah, whether your company has a matching gift, that's what double the donation is all about. Yeah, and so we've got integrations that we build into the product based on other APIs, and, right. and we I'm here shopping. For partners that we want to be build more integration with, but then for those that you need are one podcast, off, you need a podcast production partner. Uh, yeah, let's is do that, it. Yeah. A, <laughs> can you can you build can you build some API calls into our system? I don't even know what they are. So, <laughs> so. but I'm happy to produce podcasts. Yeah, yeah, we can, right. yeah we can do that. So okay. anyway, all right. So open API. Yeah, right, so exactly. I, we can bring in yep. me as the. As the as as the user organization can bring in other yeah. other vendors. Yeah, our that, primary goal. Okay. We want to preserve okay. the single database source, as, right. and we right. want to give everybody the opportunity to bring data into our okay. environment. Okay. So. Understand. Um, anything else? Must have functionality. Okay. Just want to make sure we cover it all. I don't want yeah. to hold that on nonprofit no, media. No, 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 no. We're good. <laughs> right. yeah. Have you done the session yet? Or I have not. No, no, we did the session yes. already. Oh, you yeah. did? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So had some good follow-up. Okay. I thought, well, I thought you meant this session. I was like, no, we're in the middle of it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't hold hold uh, Tony Martinetti in very high esteem. The guy doesn't even know where he is from moment to moment. <laughs> okay. Um, you, uh, I'm, I'm taking this from your takeaways. Sure. Or, or learning objectives, whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, industry insider secrets to help you shop smarter. That's what a good that? one. What are, okay, good. What, what does that move, mean? Move past the sales team. Like, hear the pitch, insist on talking to the head of customer service, insist on talking to somebody in the professional services oh. team, ask deeper questions, because the sales the sales team will be well equipped to talk about features, functionality, pricing, that sort of thing, but when, they, when they're asked deeper questions, oftentimes they're, they don't know the answer and they're going to go internally. Questions like what? Like, you what know, are these deeper you know, questions? You know, like like some of the things like, tell me more about the integration API and how it works. You know, do, is there a library that you can provide to us? Or... You know, do you have a query tool that allows for, you know, uh, sub-queries and uh, querying across the database? You know, th there's things that the sales team, there's things underneath each of the features that someone's going to dig deeper into. Like, there's going to be a tech guy or somebody that wants to ask a better question. Okay. And so mm -hmm. I, as, a, as the head of client services, often get on the sales calls. And I'm, I'm, I make myself available deliberately for these prospects 
because I need to know what they're asking too and I want to understand at the end of the day it's a relationship on, in both directions you know we don't want a client that doesn't fit with us uh, because they'll get frustrated and they'll go away at some point and they definitely don't want a CRM that doesn't fit with them because you know the mo- money's limited and, it's, and these processes are, are difficult to, to migrate so you know we open ourselves up to if you want to talk to our, our head of uh, customer support desk to know more about how we support our SLAs yeah uh, you're, uh, you're welcome. SLAs, jargon jail. I don't know what the uh, hell an SLA service, is. Service levels agreements. So if you open up a critical ticket, how quickly do we do we respond to you, and how quickly do we do we resolve it? Okay. There's SLAs based on levels of criticality and impact to the business and that sort of thing. I, as a as a person shopping for a CRM, want to talk to all of those people because these are going to be people that I'm, I'm living with. The ones who are fulfilling the the SLA. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Let, uh, I'm going to come back to. Industry insider secrets. Uh-huh. But I want to go to Mike for some lessons learned. Some things you, well, lessons learned. What do you, what, what's in your past that First you off, can help people with? When you're shopping, if you would, for this type of uh, group, don't find a vendor. Find a partner. And that's really, it, it's a, it sounds a little cliched, but right. find somebody that will go in deeper with you. Just like uh, John was saying, you know, uh, I... I end up doing a lot of hands-on stuff. Like you know, I'm sending an email for the end of the year. It's in you know the end of December. I'm the only one in the office or doing it at home, and I run into a snag. I can actually call somebody and not like, hey, we'll get back to you January 1st. You know, the third after all the stuff, all the emails that need to be sent out to make the end of year push. You know, even though you test things, I retest right before I send them again. And if I get a snag, it gives me a chance to. To get everything uh, done, so when you find a partner, they'll they'll be there for you no matter what. They're not just waiting for your check in the mail. And uh, really, the other part that I find is find a group that is creating innovation, not chasing innovation. And so, you know, you can find like these bigger groups that are I would call like a Frankenstein uh, back end where they're just bolting on. Hey, we here's the next best idea. We we bought a smaller group, bolted on, you know, like a big bolt on Frankenstein's neck and. Mm. Here it is, and they don't always work together. But if you're creating innovation, you're finding ways that, hey, this is the next big idea, and we partnered with someone or we made it ourselves, and it really works. And how, could, how could you tell if a vendor is creating versus chasing innovation? Yeah, I, well, I, what would you look for? I do a lot of homework. So uh, the, the stort, short story is, you know, John, 15 years ago, did this thing with Wounded Warrior Project. I was at a group called uh, American Veterans and Vets. And I sat down and I'm like, who is making the most money in this market? Wounded Warrior Project. So I went and I did as much research on them as I could. I didn't know him at the time. He had just started doing this other thing with Charity Engine. And I was like, if they're doing it, I should be doing it. So I called them out of the blue and they were just really getting going, Charity Engine. And they're like, how'd you find us? You're like our fifth client. (laughs) And we're not even like set up to do this yet. I'm like, we're only 20 minutes away. I want to see you next week. And they're like, holy cow. You know, so they showed up at our office and, and that's how our relationship started. But it was just really digging in. Kind of the way you find major donors is the way you find partners. You go out and you really do the research and dig it up. Yeah, I think uh, if I can add a thought. Yeah. You know, if you're building, if you're a CRM that's that's building things inherently, you're thinking through all this stuff. So, you know, a good example is ChatGPT and AI. It's all the it's all the buzz now. You know, if you're going to just slap on a component that says, okay, I, now I've got AI because they want to check off a box, where you know, uh, Charity Engine over the years for me at Wounded Warrior Project built uh, AI into into the product itself. 
to be more predictive about you know things like uh, fraud and you know who's who's accessing forms um, you know from a bot or a hacker and so what we've already got in the product that's been inherent for a, a decade is artificial intelligence to respond to certain things so that we can protect the, the nonprofit. So I think you know if a if a CRM vendor is growing based on acquisition and slapping things together, they're probably less innovative and more reactive. Yeah, and I, I think that's the for me that's kind of the litmus test. Okay. Another lesson learned, Mike. The, that's really the big the big pieces. Find okay. find innovation, you know, and and don't chase it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm coming back to you, John, okay. uh, for uh, these insider tips, insider secrets. Insider secrets. Uh, oh, back, back to About, uh, to help you shop smarter. I mean, I, I think the biggest one is move move downstream past sales. But I okay. also I also think uh, for me the the biggest thing is is do your homework internally before you start doing your homework externally. Um, understand your own team. Understand what you need. Understand what people are using. Understand what people are complaining about. Understand how many different you know components you've got in your environment today. Because if you start shopping before you even have those answers, you're doing something wrong. You're gonna, you're, you're basically not, you're not, you don't even know what you're looking for at that point. So start internally. Spend a lot of good time, in, you know, really understanding your current environment and and people's mentality about your current environment before you get out there and start looking around. What are some of the questions you got in the in the session? Um, well, so we we ran to the end and people walked up with questions afterwards, and I, I think. The biggest question uh, was was related to shopping around, like, you know, where do you start? And it was a, it was a, a couple of smaller nonprofits asking, you know, we don't know technology. Like, where do I go? Do I search Google? You know, and, and if I do, what are the keywords that I'm looking for? And I said, you know, obviously, you know, if you're starting there, I'd say take a step back and really ask yourself your questions first. And then it's going to drive how you search. So yeah, Google is going to be a great source for a lot of people. Referrals are good as well, but m- most people are going to go to the web. Every CRM is doing their search engine optimization, and they're they're getting their rankings, and everyone's putting up their marketing messaging. But at the beginning, you need to know specifically what you need before you start searching for anything. Otherwise, it's, it's misaligned. So. All right. So all those internal questions that yeah, we talked about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, Mike, you want to uh, give us parting thoughts on on uh, pitfalls to avoid. This is a little uh, well, just uh, some uh, parting uh, encouragement yeah. for, for doing it the right way. Of course, uh, like John said, do your homework. That's really you're you're responsible for yourself in the nonprofit world because they hire you to do one job and then you end up having five or ten or twenty, and you know it's really hard to kind of slow things down and really look. But but call your friends. Hey, what what's what are you using that's good? Ask ask for referrals. And uh, and really, just go out and see who's who's doing things together with clients, more or less than just hey, I, I just added a new client. So it, it, it's that partner piece is to me is the biggest on everything that I do. Is if you're not, I don't I don't want a vendor. I don't I don't want a a, a pay for play, even though it does kind of break down to that a little bit. I want someone that if there's a problem, they're going to help me come through it. And and John, had, uh, you know, he, he alluded to uh, some things. Uh, the, the, I don't even know he that we had. He knew I had this in our past, but we had uh, a, a thing where we bought a bad list. And you bought what? A bad list. So it was, emails, be, yeah. it, was it was at another nonprofit before my time, and it was integrated by an, an uh, uh, a vendor, if you would, that was uh, 
that we were getting rid of, but they had integrated like 100,000 emails, and it just uh, sent off a lot of alarms at a charity engine, and they said, stop. And we see that you're not you're not getting the response rates, and uh, you know you got a little. I hate to use this word, honeypot. I don't want you to put me in jail. No, but uh, no. you know it's like all these pieces where they were not great email addresses. They they were going to bad, you know, dead ends and so forth. And they stopped us from really going down a, a slippery slope. And we had to parse out take this out, list, take out those hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah, and it really it saved us a lot of time and money in the long run. And if they would have just let it ride and that we were just like a, another number on their list, it would have cost us money in, in terms of donations and in fixing. So uh, those are the things I look for. All right. That's J. Michael Fisher. He's vice president of development at Army Historical Foundation and also with John Coogan, vice president of client services at Charity Engine. John and Mike, thank you very much. Thanks very much much. for sharing. My pleasure. And thank you for being with Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio coverage of the 2023 Nonprofit Technology Conference in Denver, Colorado, where we are sponsored by Heller Consulting, technology strategy and implementation for nonprofits. Thanks so much for being with me. Next week, 10 fundraising booths on a budget and personalized fundraising at scale. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you, find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by DonorBox. With intuitive fundraising software from DonorBox, your donors give four times faster, helping you help others. DonorBox.org. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. I'm your announcer, Kate Martinetti. The show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with us next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great! Great!